what we always say. Uh, the Christian life is always reconciling what we see, what the world tells us, to what God has said. Thankful for that reminder this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 12. We'll continue our, our study there uh, today with verses uh, 22 uh, through 34. Let get my notes together here. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Let's read God's word together. It says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, and neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Father, we need you to speak to us. Uh, Lord, what a, what a timely passage for us today. Uh, in a world that is full of anxieties, a world full of uncertainties, Lord, you say to us, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not fear. And so today we want to establish the basis for that, but we need you to, to apply it to our hearts. We, we admit, as we have read, that often we are faithless. Often our faith is weak, and we need you to build us up. So Lord, speak to us that, that we might trust in you more and more. Speak to us so that we might see our Savior. We might leave this place resting in him. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us two weeks ago, I appreciate Charles being here. I hope communion went well. I'm sure it did. But if you were with us the week before that, then you'll recall that we began our study of Luke chapter 12 sort of in earnest then by going through verses 4 through 21. Uh, and what we saw there, at least in part, was sort of the diagnoses for why we so often live in fear. We said that, that God is calling us in this passage to have no fear, right? Uh, but we wanted to see, is there a reason why maybe we tend to do that? You know, if I went to see uh, Jason, if I went to see Grace, and they just started throwing medicine at me without examining me, without trying to get to the heart of the problem... Well, then they might luckily, just, well, in God's providence, come across a solution that would work, right? 
Uh, but more than likely, they're not going to be able to help me if they don't have a strong diagnosis. Well, friends, the reality of our world is so many people are trying to throw medicine, whether that is physical or spiritual or whatever, they're trying to throw medicine at the problem. They don't know the diagnoses. They don't know the real heart of the problem. And so we try to establish that here, and Jesus does that for us by first exposing two ways our fears sort of manifest themselves, right? In verses 4 through 12, he points us to our fear of men. He says, you're, you're afraid of these men who maybe can kill your body, who maybe can do terrible things to you, but, and we'll come back to the but in just a second, then he also points us in verses 13 through 21 uh, to what Ben has reminded us of, our fear of things, or at least our fear of losing these earthly things that we have. Now again, we might call these the symptoms, but, but what's the, the larger problem here? What, what, is it, what is it that is causing this to be the reality? Well, you see it there in verses 5, uh, in verse 5 where he says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. We forget verse 9. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And then we forget in verse 20. You fool, this night your soul is required of you. The real root of our fears, the reason that we fail to live the way that we should is we fail to live in the light of Scripture. We fail to live in the light of what Christ has done for us, the truth of what that means. We fail, as we said, to live in light of eternity, both now and in the future, right? Now we are, are aliens in this world. We are sojourners. Yes, we are here for a time, and yes, we care deeply about what happens here. But the reality of the situation is this place is not our home. As we're going to see today, we're members of a different kingdom. What happens here in our 70 or 80 or 90 years is a drop in the bucket when it's compared to eternity, right? And so if our actions, if there's desires, if there's goals, if there's fears to be had, then they ought to be directed not at this world, they ought to be directed to what's to come, right? They ought to be directed to the one who stands in eternity. Now, my goal was not to re-preach all of that per se, but, but I wanted to make sure that we grasp that, because I don't know that I did a good job of that the first time. The, the point that we wanted to make that with this first sermon was that we are anxious because we fail to live in light of who we are, of, as we've been reminded already, of who Jesus says we are, Okay? We fail to live in light of Scripture, in light of eternity. Now, with that diagnosis, the question becomes, what's the cure? How do we begin to let go of our anxieties in this life? Uh, anxieties and fears that, as we know, are very real. And I, nothing that I'm going to say today is going to minimize that fact. You know, the anxieties that we experience, the hardships that we experience, the troubles, those things are very, very real, and God knows they're very real. But how can we begin to, to rest in, in him? How can we begin, if we get to the heart of the matter, to live by faith? Well, this morning, that's, that's what we're going to think about. And you'll notice I have titled our message, Have You Not Known? 
Now, I did that because as you read through these words that Jesus gives us here, it's almost like he's saying the same thing that God was saying through Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 that we read for our call to worship. You remember there, God has pronounced judgment for 39 chapters. Then in chapter 40, he comes and he speaks a word of comfort through Isaiah. The rest of the book is comfort to my people. Yes, you're going into exile, but here's what's going to happen. And there in verse 40, he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Now the point is, is, hey, did you not read the Torah? Did you not see what I did for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Did you not see what I did for the people of the Exodus? Have you forgotten just exactly who I am? Friends, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. He's saying, have you not known? Have you not known this great God that that I proclaim to you? Have you not known who he is and what he's done, the promises that he has made? Have you not heard? Well, in case we haven't, or in case we've forgotten, he's going to remind us here, okay? And so that's what I want us to see. Uh, There's no reason for fear. There's no reason for anxiety. Because we rest in a God who is greater than them all. So let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see, the first reason we have no fear for anxiety, is because we know the character of God. We know who he is. And we actually saw this in those verses last week. And so we're going to begin there. We didn't touch on this last week or two weeks ago, but we're going, to, we're going to start there. And again, this is not an exhaustive list of God's attributes. And he's not more of these things than he is anything else he is. We talk about God's simplicity, right? He's not made up of parts. But he is in everything what he claims to be fully all the time, right? But here, here. As we think about the the worries and fears that we have, notice what Jesus says. First, he says that that God knows all things exhaustively. He's omniscient, right? There's nothing he doesn't know, including you and I. Verse 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Now the point here is, hey, these sparrows are one of the smallest of God's creatures. And in worldly terms, they have very little value at all. Uh, in, In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says that two can be bought for one penny. Well here, five are bought for two pennies, so you're getting one extra, right? They're throwing in one for free. He says, but I see them. I know when they're bought and sold. I know when they hatch. I know their migratory patterns. I know where they'll be born, and I know where they'll die. I know them completely. Now, if that's true for birds, friends, how much more is that true for you and I who have been made in his image? We have no value necessarily in and of ourselves, but God has declared that value, right? He has given us his image. He has said that that he knows us. Again, uh, if you look down there, I think it's verse 9. No, I'm sorry. Well, I've lost my place. But he says he knows even the number of hairs on your head, right? The question is, is how many of us have taken the time to count the number of hairs on our head? 
I'll admit to you that right now it would take less time than it once would have for me to do that, but I still suspect that the answer is none of us. Zero of us know the number of hairs on our head. Now, the point is God Almighty, He does. And so He knows us better than we even know ourselves. It reminds us of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Again, God's knowledge, his understanding. It's exhaustive. So we don't have to fear because we come to one who is omniscient. Secondly, we see here, Jesus reminds us that we come to a God who is everywhere. He's omnipresent. We're going to get all of our omnis in today. He's omnipresent. Now that's true generally. Again, when you go to Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the winds of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for the darkness is as light. So generally, God is, is everywhere in his creation. But notice here, specifically for believers, he's not just out there somewhere, but where is he? Resides by the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In verse 11, he says, when you go before men and you don't know what to say, don't worry, because the Holy Spirit who is in you, he will give you what to say. Now, friends, this is important. Because we speak as if God is, we, we say God is with us, or we, God is with our, our family. We say those things, but we, we talk in kind of abstractions. We act as if he's out there somewhere, and then we kind of call him in, and then he goes out again, and he's, he's kind of back and forth. Friends, that's not, the, that's not the reality. If we're resting in him, then he is in our hearts. Whether we feel it to be true or not, whether we see him, maybe sin veils his lovely face as we sing, right? The truth is, is, is he is always near. By the power of the Spirit, he is living in our hearts. And so there's nowhere that we can get away from him. There's nowhere that men can take us to get away from him. He's always with us. He's omnipresent. Thirdly, We also notice here that he is all-powerful. He has all authority to do whatever he wills. He's omnipotent, right? He can do whatever he wills, and that includes everything from creation all the way to eternity. Again, I won't take the time to read it, but Psalm 139, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Who did it? He did it. If you've been on our Wednesday night studies, we've been looking at Colossians. Who is Jesus? He is the creator God who stood at creation, right? Who spoke it into existence. He has power to create. But then we also notice in this passage, and we've read it there in verse 5, that he has the power of eternity too, right? That he can say, this one's mine and this one's not. 
He has that power over the beginning and the end. And so, we see these truths that we know so well, and they're, they're blessed truths. They're truths that we rest in. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful, can do all things. But let's ask the question. That was all we knew of God, those three things. How comforting would it be? Reality is it wouldn't be very comforting at all, right? Because when we say he's omniscient, that means he knows everything, friends. He knows the good. He also knows the bad. The things that you hide, that I hide from everyone else. The God that we serve, he sees it. He knows it. Where can we flee from him? We cannot get away from him. In his power, he has the power to do all things. And so if these were all we knew, then there would not be much reason for comfort. That's what happens to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They sin against God. They realize that they're naked. They realize that they're sinners. And what do they do? They hide, right? They flee. They don't know what to do. They don't know what God is about to do to them. Now, that's not a great plan. It didn't work out, but we can't really blame them, can we? That was all we knew, and that seems like the only logical choice. Friends, that's not all we know, is it? And that's the point that Jesus is making here. Not only is he all of those great omnis, but he is also good. He is good. Now, again, let's qualify that. I don't mean that just in the way that we say God is good. You know, something good happens in our lives and we say, oh, God is good. Now, that's true. He is good in that moment. But what I mean right now is when we say God is good, he is good in all of his providence. Whatever enters into our lives as his children, he means it for our good. He means it for his glory. In everything, he is merciful and gracious abounding in steadfast love towards those who seek him. So that means he is good in his omniscience, in his all-knowing of us, both the good and the bad. We can, in verse 7, fear not. Why? Because it pleases God to value us even above all of creation. Not because we're deserving, not because we're worthy, but as Cameron has reminded us, simply because he has said so. Simply because he has said, I I love you and I value you. And he sent Jesus to die for us. He's good in his omnipresence. Because we don't have to flee from him. Even if we could, we don't have to. Because what is the Holy Spirit residing in us to do? Not condemn, not punish, not judge, but to help us, right? Now certainly, he brings discipline into our lives. He teaches us. But even that is God's goodness, his grace towards us. He's good in his omnipotence. We don't have to fear for our souls in verse 20. Why? Because the one who has loved us, as we look to him by faith, what has his omnipotence done for us? It's brought redemption so that he could be both just and the justifier of sinners. So that no longer are our souls required of us, as he says, of the man there who built up all of his barns. But they are now being saved and kept 
by the one who, who gave himself for us, by the one who died in our place. He is good. Finally, we get to our actual passage, what we've read today. He is good, and so that means that, that we do not have to be anxious about our lives, how we will survive. Because he who is sovereign over all things, he will provide for us, just as he provides for the ravens. Right Again, we're back to the birds. He says, these birds, they can't pile up. They don't have storehouses. They can't build up bank accounts. They can't get storage units and put a whole bunch of stuff in it and try to keep it for generations to generations. He says, but every single day, what does God do for those ravens? He provides for them. Again, how much more valuable are, are we than ravens? How much more has he declared about us? He is good, and so it means that, that we do not have to be anxious about our bodies, what we look like, what we wear. Again, I really want to go off into a whole thing here, and I'm not going to do it, but if you are in middle school, high school, or elementary school, or college, or if you're an adult, hear what I'm telling you now. You do not have to meet a standard that the world sets for you. God has set the standard, and he loves you just as you are. He's not going to leave you as you are, but he loves you. If, if Jesus has died for you, then friends, you can have no more value than that. There is nothing greater that you can have than that. He says, the lilies, they're here today. They're gone tomorrow. And yet they are arrayed in such a way that is greater than even Solomon was arrayed. How much more does he care about us than lilies? Friends, Jesus here, he shows us God's character. He shows us his love. He has shown us how good God truly is. God put it display, put it to display on the cross. He put it to display in the nail-scarred hands, right? He put it to display in the side that was opened up for you and I to the precious blood shed on our behalf. He put it on display at the empty tomb where death could not win. In short, he cannot say it to us any more clearly than he has said it. Do not fear. Do not worry. One, it does us no good. That's what he says there, right, in verse 25. But the bigger point is it's unnecessary. Because he who made heaven and earth, he who is the eternal God, one more of his attributes, he whom, verse 30, is our Father. He knows what we need. And He will provide. So, the first cure of our anxiety. That God is good. His character is on display. Now, friends, the reality is, is we don't need any more than that. If He has said it, then, then that's all we need. We, that's all the truth that we need. And yet Jesus here, he goes on to say, secondly and quickly, he says uh, that we know, we, we don't have to be anxious because we also not only know the character of God, but we also know the character of the kingdom. The character of the kingdom. Now, notice in verse 31, as opposed to the things of this world, Christians are supposed to do what? 
Uh, They're supposed to seek his kingdom, God's kingdom. Now, Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that we seek to establish, we seek the final consummation of God's rule here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We do that by first submitting ourselves, every area of our lives, individually to his rule. Romans 12, right? Remember that that passage, submit your bodies as a living sacrifice? And then we do it by proclaiming the truth of the gospel to every corner of the world so that, as we said earlier, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is indeed Lord. That's a good sentence if I do say so myself. But the question is, is what does it mean practically in our lives? Well, if you were with us Wednesday night, we considered it briefly as we looked at Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 6. Paul says they're to walk after Christ. He says, what does it mean to to walk after him? What what does it mean to follow our Savior? He said, well, chiefly, it involves self-denial. It involves looking away from ourselves. Again, what a thought in 2022. What a thought in our world today to say, no, we're not going to look at us. It's not about me. It's about somebody else. We first deny ourselves and then we take up our cross daily and we follow him. Now that's, that's a big call to us. We sacrifice our desires, our pleasures, our comfort. That's what it means to live in his kingdom. But friends, at least here on this earth, the question again is how are we supposed to do that? When, when honestly... We kind of like our comfort, don't we? We kind of like our pleasures. We kind of like the stuff that makes us happy. More to the point, how do we relieve the anxiety that we have when just saying that we have to let go of these things causes us great anxiety? Again, first, what have we already seen? We know the character of God. We know the redemption that he has brought us through Christ. We know the Holy Spirit is living in our hearts. Friends, without that, there is no seeking the kingdom. Without that truth, none of us will seek it as we should. But secondly, notice that the surpassing value of the kingdom. Verse 31, this is a dumb question, and I know it is, but but bear with me. Whose kingdom is it? Verse 31, it's his kingdom, right? It's, It's God's kingdom. Now, what does that imply? Well, it implies that if he is the king then where is he? He's on the throne. And where is his throne? It is in heaven. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. Now, I just got through saying that God is everywhere and that's true. But here, I'm thinking more in that eschatological sense. I'm thinking more in that sense of Revelation 21 where the the new heavens and the new earth, they descend and God is there with his people fulfilling the covenant promise. I will be their God. They will be my people forevermore. We need no light. And he wipes away every tear from our eyes. Friends, I don't know what your view of heaven is. But that's the prize. (laughs) Yes, there may be streets of gold. And yes, there may be mansions. And all that will be great. But the prize at the end of the race is God Almighty. 
The prize at the end of the race is seeing Jesus face to face. That's what we look forward to. That's what we live for. Seeing our Savior clearly. Seeing Him with unveiled faces as Moses wanted to do. As all of God's people wanted to do. But we're unable to do. We will see our King and we will bow before Him and we will worship Him. And He will say to us, as He said to John, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. He will wipe away the tears from our eyes. We see the surpassing value of the kingdom and the fact that that's where he is. That's where the king is. But secondly, and finally, and quickly, we see the value of the kingdom because it's there that only, that's, it's only there that things last. In verse 33, he goes through all of that. He says, don't, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth. Get yourselves money bags that, that won't uh, be destroyed, where things can't be stolen, where things can't be taken away from you. Put your treasures in a place where they will be secure forevermore. Again, this is not possessions that we have yet per se. But the thing that I want you to see is that the value of the kingdom is that the things there, they're guaranteed. They're guaranteed to us. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Again, he's immutable, friends. He does not change. This is not an opinion that he has. This is not a good thought. This is not a hope. This is the word of Almighty God. And so it will be. It is His good pleasure to give His children, this little flock, the kingdom. And this is not a pipe dream. And I want to be careful here because I think sometimes we see it this way. It's not a pipe dream. This is not a pie-in-the-sky philosophy like, oh, everything's just going to work out great in the end. But friends, this is, is real as, as anything we experience in this life, more real than anything we experience in this life. Christ will return, and he will take us into glory. If we go to be with him before that, we will rest with him until that time. It will not fail. He will rule in our midst forevermore. And so we don't have to be anxious, because, friends, we know that this is the truth. We know that this is coming. Yes, things in this life happen. And, and look, they hurt. And I know that they do because I experience them too. I know they hurt. Our anxieties, they, they want to overwhelm us. But the simple fact of the matter is, is what, if, if this is true, if we really believe what we say we believe, and that's really the question, do we really believe that Jesus is sufficient? Do we really believe that he will return? Do we really believe, a, believe him when he says, Fear not. I'm going to give you the kingdom. Well, friends, the question as we conclude is, is do you believe that? Do, do you have that treasure? Is your heart resting in Christ and in his kingdom? If so, then he says to you, I, I don't say to you, he says to you, little flock, fear not. He says to you, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will rest in your heart. 
He says to you there on the top of your bulletin, uh, he says, uh, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Again, it's not my word, that's his word. This God that we've spent so much time proclaiming his character, that's what he says to you. But if you're here today and you don't know that truth, if you're not resting in him as your Lord, then friends, the truth is, is you will never have peace in this life and certainly in the next if you're not resting in this great King and Redeemer. And so today, again, these are his words, not mine. He invites you to come, to cast your burdens at his feet, to come heavy laden as you may be, and to find rest, to find peace. Friends, you can lay all of these things, I can lay these things down, and I'm preaching to myself right now as much as I'm preaching to any of you. We can lay these burdens down. We can rest in his sure hands. Not because I say so. Not because any of you say so. But because he says so. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these truths, Lord, we rejoice in what you have done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the reality is, is our hearts are often so overly anxious. There's so many things in this life that we're concerned to, to face, concern to lose. Uh, and yet, Lord, you call us to, to not worry, to not fear. And the simple reason is, is because you have made so great promises to us. We have no reason to fear. You are with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You'll get us safely home. And what is to come, eternity with you, is far greater than anything we can experience here. These things are light and momentary afflictions as compared to the glory that you have saved up for us. And so we rest in Christ. We ask that, that you help us to have more faith. Help us to live a life of faith where we trust in you completely. And again, Lord, we thank you that, that Jesus has saved us, that he's come and done all that needs to be done to get us to glory, to get us to heaven. And we look always to him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 31. If you will, we'll stand and sing together.